the beginning of brokenness. That's what we're looking at this morning. Chapter 4, Genesis 1 through 16. We're, we're not really going to talk about verse 16, but that we'll read it. That completes the, uh, the unit. Now, this is, this is certainly not the first sin uh, ever since the, the deception in the garden and the eating of the fruit, Adam and Eve have been sinning, and, and Cain and Abel were sinners. And, and So this isn't the first sin. It is the first recorded sin, though. And it is definitely the worst of the sins that they have committed up to this point. Um, this is really a, a forerunner of what humanity is going to be like uh, it's what humanity is capable of, what they would become in the next couple of chapters. And we get to Noah, and God wipes it all out and starts over with Noah and his family. It's the first murder. And, and worse than just murder, murder is bad enough, this is fratricide. This is killing of a sibling. And that's how we get introduced to the true brokenness of sin. It's the first death. This, when God said, if you eat of the fruit, you will die, he didn't mean at that moment, because that's how uh, the serpent twisted it and said, oh, you won't die right then when you eat it. That was true. They wouldn't. They would eventually. And now death has entered, so we have the death of the first, the first death of the first human, and it's by murder, and it's by the hand of his brother. And Cain got to that moment, got to that point where he would murder his own brother uh, by a deepening of his sin, a, a progression toward this worse sin. Even though God warns him what could happen if he is not careful. Watch yourself, he says. And that's our big idea of this passage and this message this week. If you don't rule over sin, sin will rule over you. This is just a restatement of what God told Cain uh, after the, the offering didn't go so well and Cain had issues. Well, let's, let's read it together. Genesis 4, 1 through 16. The man was intimate with his wife Eve... And she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you furious, and why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field... Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's guardian? Then he said, God, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. 
So now you are cursed, alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood you have shed. If you work the ground, it will never again give you its yield. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. But Cain answered the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear, since you are banishing me today from the face of the earth, and I must hide from your presence and become a restless wanderer on the, wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord replied to him, In that case, whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And he placed a mark on Cain, so that whoever found him would not kill him. Then Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. We get the picture here of that command, or the disobedience to the command of ruling over sin. Because we see this progression with Cain. It begins, what we would say is, with something small... And then it ends in him being cursed, the first person to be cursed by God. Uh, serpent was cursed, the land was cursed, but now Cain is cursed. Well, how does it happen? It begins with the slide in verses 3 through 5. That's, that's our first picture of Cain beginning his uh, progression, his downward fall. It, the chapter starts with them having their first child, and, and Eve says, with the Lord's help, I've had this child, and she already knew that de liber, uh, uh, labor, delivery, even the, the, the pregnancy would be difficult, so Eve knew with the Lord's help, I have done this. He has provided what he said he would do. He has given us the blessing of offspring. So she had this, this child. Then she had another child, Abel. And Abel became a shepherd. And uh, Cain became a farmer. There's no, there's no better or worse of those two things. The, the, the issue doesn't start there. It's not that shepherding is more noble and farming isn't. These two things are, these two professions are equal as far as the need of the people and as far as God is concerned. The problem, the slide begins in verse 3. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. Now, we don't know if this was uh, a regular celebration that they did, a regular time of offering to the Lord. We just know that he did it. And, of course, the, the people who are hearing these messages, the, this, this uh, writing for the first time, the folks wandering the wilderness, Israel wandering the wilderness and beginning, hopefully, to end, uh, enter into the promised land, they would have known immediately what a, a, a time of sacrifice meant. What all went into that, how you are to present your best and, and to be at your best. And, and it is, uh, you, you, you purify yourself, you confess your sins before you bring your offering. The New Testament even tells us that. Jesus tells us that uh, in, in the Gospels. And we're told Cain brings some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. There's nothing in that sentence that says, uh, that throws up a red flag that should concern us. It's the next sentence that, that makes it clear what's going on here. Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. Now we get 
to the, the crux of the matter. Whatever it was Cain brought, it apparently was not his first fruits. It wasn't the best. It was some of what he had. Abel brought his best. That's why the two sentences are clearly um, contrasting the two things. Abel didn't just bring some, he brought the best. He came to worship. Um, Cain, at best, came to fulfill an obligation. He gave the minimum he thought he had to in order to make God happy, to fulfill the requirement. Some of us are here this morning to fulfill the requirement. We're not necessarily here to worship. We're not here to present our best. We're here because, well, it's Sunday morning, and I claim Jesus, so i got to go to church. Come with your best, because I'm telling you, that is a slide to not being here at all. That is a slide to greater sin, and that is a slide toward greater punishment. So his offering, as compared to Abel's, is just some, not the best, and he knew it. It was, that, that's why God asks the question here in the next sentence, the next passage. Why are you, why are you, look, why are you mad, bro? Why, are you, why are your face, if you do what's right, you, you know, you know what you need to do, Cain. Why are you upset? And that reaction from God, the, the, even just in verse uh, Verse 4, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. That should have been a prod toward Cain. That should have been an encouragement toward Cain. Boy, I messed this up. And he's got two ways to go here. Here's where the, the, he comes to the crossroads. Here's where he comes to the, uh, the fork in the road. Here's where two paths diverge, and he chooses to get bitter, not better. He could have brought a different offering. He could have fixed it the next time. He could have said, well, I'm not going to do that anymore. That clearly this was, and I know it's not. I mean, I, I, didn't, I didn't even try. I just, there's, there's something here. Take it, whatever. I, I, I know, I, and, and he could have changed direction at that point. But he didn't. And he begins this slide toward further sin. And God gives him a warning in verse 7. So God doesn't leave us, does he? He doesn't just stop. He doesn't just frown, make us feel bad, and then step away and, and we're left wondering, you know, what in the world. Verse 7. If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. It des its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. God did not leave Cain to sulk, just to sit there and stew in it. Because he was stewing in it. That's why he was furious, and he looked despondent. He was stewing in the fact that God didn't like his offering, that his offering wasn't worthy, that it wasn't acceptable. So he is just boiling in that over and over and over and over again. And God says, why are you doing this? Because if you do this, sin is waiting. 
Sin is crouched at your door. It's, it's like a, a robber who's hiding around the corner. A lot of y'all uh, probably don't know this. I don't know any reason why any of you would. Years ago, uh, I delivered pizzas uh, for Domino's. I did a, a lot over the years, as a matter of fact. But when we lived in Kingwood, outside of Houston, Kingwood's a really nice area. And it has some, had, and still has, some areas that aren't so nice. And it really doesn't even matter if the areas are nice, uh, because folks could come and go freely. One night, I was delivering uh, to an apartment complex that wasn't great, uh, but we had been there number of times, no big deal, had an apartment number, knocked on the door, nobody answered the door, uh, I, I, I knock again, nobody, and suddenly this guy comes running around the corner, and I thought, oh, it's some kid uh, acting stupid, because he was not big, scared the mess out of me at that moment, but then I got over that real quick, it's no big deal, except for the shotgun he had pointed at my head. I was being robbed here delivering pizzas. Kingwood, Texas, suburb of Houston, you know, it happens. That got my attention, as you can imagine. And there was, he had a, a partner who came and stood there and said, give it up. And I thought he meant the pizzas. I'm like handing the, <laughs> you know, I'm like, all right. Well, I had whatever cash I had for the job, and then I had more cash in my wallet that I was not supposed to have. That was against the rules. Uh, they got... 150 bucks from me or something like that but my point is it's not fun to be robbed that's actually not my point uh my point is they were cr literally crouching at the door now not at the door it, they were around the corner where it was dark this place was not lit as well as it should have been and they were just waiting for me to knock on the door they were crouched well that that is that is what sin does now, I could use their lives and say that, you know, sin was crouching at the door for them, and that was a slide of progression probably from one sin to the next. And as a matter of fact, I, I think they eventually got caught because they were robbing people at ATMs too, using the same shotgun. So uh, they, they did get caught. But that's, that's the picture here of sin crouching at the door, waiting for the moment when you least expect it to come up and get you. And sin's it's looking for that opportune moment. And, and that for, the, for that thief, it was opportune for him. I was not expecting it. I, I was, even if I had had a gun on me, I had no time to do anything. They knew that. Sin makes sure it catches you at the same moment. And God tells Cain, be ready. Sin is crouching at the door. You must master it or it will rule over you. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. It's that same phrase that God uses with Eve in chapter 3 about her desire will be for her husband, but he will rule over, for you, uh, rule over you. The, the emphasis is different. For Eve and Adam, it was because you've messed up the relationship by sin, with sin, you will want to take his place of authority, and then he, in turn, will misuse his authority. Your desire will be for him, but he will rule, which was not supposed to be the way it was. It was supposed to be mutual. Yes, he had a place of authority, 
but not a place of rule. He will misuse that, and you will misuse your situation as well. In this case, with Cain, with Cain and sin, he's saying sin wants to take its place as your ruler. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. You must grab it first. If I had seen those guys waiting in the, the bushes, I would not have gone to the door. I would have ruled over it by running. Dropping the pizzas probably. I don't care, $20 worth of pizza. Get out of there. God says, you have an option. Paul tells us the same thing in 1 Corinthians 10 13, no temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. Now, I don't know that the temptation to kill your brother was common to humanity at this point. But the principle is there. Cain, sin wants to rule. Wants, it's, sin's desire is for you, but you must rule over it. The rest of the verse that Paul wrote, but God is faithful to warn, just like he did with Cain, God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way out so that you may be able to bear it. Sin's desire is for you, but you must rule over sin. God provided the way out for Cain, told him it was coming, told him this is a dangerous path you are on. You are sliding down towards something that you don't want to end up at, and here's your way out. Be ready. When you step out the door, it's going to be crouching. Rule over sin. Verse 8, Cain doesn't rule. He surrenders. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. It's, it's interesting, the, the, the older translations, they, it just says, Cain said to his brother. We don't, don't know what he said. It's something about getting him, getting him away. Newer, later manuscripts say, let's go out to the field. Cain planned this, though, regardless of, of, of what it actually, the original text says. Cain said to his brother Abel. Cain talked to him. Cain invited him. Cain schmoozed him. Cain deceived him. A lot of deception going on in these first few chapters of Genesis. Let's go out in the field. I wonder, I wonder what field. You know, I, I've, I've proven to you over and over and over I think about weird things. Did they go out into the field with the sheep? What did Cain say when they got there? Was he talking about the offering? Oh, look how good your sheep are. Boy, you bet you missed those, those really good ones you gave to God. Or was, was he talking about the future? You know, just... The deception, the, the duplicity. Cain talked to his brother. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. <sighs> I 
We read over that. We've heard this story so many times. And we read over it, and we're so used to it, and we're so used to murder, and we're so used to death that we, I think we miss the power of this verse if we don't stop and, and let our imaginations run with it just a little bit. So when I think about weird things like, what were they talking about as they walked to the field, and they got to the field, and how did he kill him? So on and so forth. Because this is a tremendous turning point in humanity. We see the depths of depravity that can be reached when Cain gives in to sin's rule. Straight up ignores God. He surrenders to it. Now, know for certain that Cain chose to do this. He chose, and, and that's, that's the, the first part of verse 8. Cain talked to his brother, and while they were in the field, it's, it, it, it's, it, 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 we see the plotting. We see him getting him away from Adam and Eve and whatever else is going on at the time. Out in the middle of nowhere, Cain knew exactly what he was doing. And he had an opportunity to stop it if he just would. He had a way out and not slide toward even worse sin. But he didn't take the way out when it came. Uh, a quote, Sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. It's an excellent quote. That quote was originally, best I can tell, from Ravi Zacharias, who was a tremendous apologist for the Christian faith. He was also a sexual abuser. Um, started massage parlors for the massage. He knew very well, more than we knew, really, uh, uh, while he was alive, he died a few years ago, that sin will take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. Cain knew it too. God knew it too. It's crouching at your door. Its desire is for you. But you must rule over it. That is not just not to Cain, that's to us too this morning. And then he compounded it. He didn't have a way out once the murder was committed. But he at least could have admitted it. Just been up front. Okay, even once he was caught, at some point, show some remorse. Verse 9, then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? God loves questions he knows the answers to. He knows the answers to all the questions. So, you know, that just, let's just start there. Uh, um, Adam, where are you? He knew where Adam was. We were hiding. Why were you hiding? 
one. Give me the answer. It's what he wants. He's, you, you fess it. You fess up to it. You, and, and, and Adam, you, you know, yeah, um, Cain, where is your brother Abel? And when, a, a, uh, when Cain was confronted, he made it worse. I don't know. I mean, at least when Adam and Eve were confronted, they may have passed the blame, but they didn't deny it. We didn't eat the fruit. No, it was, she made me, the serpent made me, et cetera, et cetera. It, it, they, they pat, but, but they didn't just flat out deny that they had even done it. Cain, I don't know, he lied straight to God, but don't, don't, <gasps> y'all do it too, I do it too. We lie to God's face because he's, he's everywhere, you know, omnipresent. He sees everything, omniscient. So every time we think we're getting away with something, every time we're choosing to disobey, and every time we feel that tug to not do it, the way out of temptation that he provides every time, we're lying to God, oh, I didn't know I could have gotten out. I just couldn't control. I, it was my, it's just who I am. It's just my person. It's just this. It's just that. The devil made me do it. Liar. He lied, and then he dodged. I don't know where my brother is. Besides, am I my brother's guardian? Am I my brother's keeper? Well, the lie is obvious. The dodge is a little less obvious. Sometimes we want to say, no, our brother is, I am not my brother's keeper, but we are. Abel was Cain's responsibility, not just because he was his brother, not just because he was his younger brother. Let's get into the whole familial relationship there, the older brother taking care of the younger brother and all that, especially in the society that uh, would have been reading this for the first time. It was a big deal for the oldest to take care of the family, not kill the younger brother. But it's not just about family. Loving your neighbor as yourself means I am my brother's keeper. And if we go back to where Jesus taught that, that was outside the faith family. That was a, a Samaritan who worshipped on a different mountain. Helping a Jewish man who believed the Samaritan was a dirty half-breed. And that Samaritan was his brother's keeper. But it happens in the church too. It's, we see that in uh, Corinthians when Paul calls the church a body. Both of these uh, commands, descriptions make clear. We are our brothers and sisters' keepers. Whether they are a part of our faith family or not. We are not all children of God we become children of God the moment we accept Christ. We're joint heirs with Jesus. We are part of the family at that point. But we are all creations of God, and every human is made in the image of God. So in that sense, we are at the very least cousins, if not brothers and sisters. Very literally, coming from our first parents, we are cousins. Just a couple of times removed.
and Adam just, I mean, rather, Cain just makes it worse. I don't know where he is. He's not my responsibility anyway. Liar and liar. You do know where he is, and he is your responsibility. And God meets out the punishment. Then he, God, said, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed, alienated, alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your bro- brother's blood you have shed. If you work the ground, it will never again give you its yield. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. You are cursed, he says. The ground is already difficult to work with. That's part of the punishment. But we're told just a few verses before, Cain is the one who worked the fields. The ground was was his livelihood. And now it is not going to give anything to you. You are cursed. The ground's just going to be what it always has been. But anytime you work it, it's not going to give you what you expect. Some of y'all live that out, right? Some of y'all have green thumbs, you can grow anything. Some of y'all could kill a plastic plant, right? Any, anybody? Yeah, mm-hmm. I see some head nodding, I see that hand, I see that hand. I see some witnesses about this. You're not cursed, you're just not any good at it. Cain was cursed. And, but but I, I think this is a good image. Some of y'all, it, you, you have a friend or a family member that'll take those cuttings of the vine and, and they'll put them in like vinegar and gasoline and light them on fire and have a beautiful arrangement or something. You know, how did you grow that from that? And they give it to you with dirt and fertilizer and instructions and in three days it's dead. Right? They, they, they can do anything to it and it's beautiful. You do exactly what you're supposed to and you kill it. That was Cain. It didn't matter what he did. It didn't matter the fertilizer. wouldn't matter the, the implements. wouldn't matter what he was trying to grow where. It didn't matter if it was the exact proper spot. I mean, he couldn't grow rice in a puddle. He couldn't, he, he couldn't do anything because he was cursed. The man who worked the ground would no longer get anything from it. Adam had to toil. The ground was difficult But for Cain, it was worse. And then not only will the ground not give him anything, he's kicked out. He's removed from the family. He's removed from the camp. He's removed from the group. We, we, Israel would have known about this. They had to kick people out, put them outside the camp if they were ceremonial, ceremonially unclean for a time. Sometimes, for, for example, with uh, Achan, when they uh, tried to take the city of Ai, I think, I'm going to get my biblical history messed up here, and, and they just kept getting defeated. Turns out that uh, uh, Achan had stolen some stuff that wasn't supposed to be his, all to God. And they, had to, they killed the whole family. I mean, talk about being put out of the camp. They put him out of the camp. So they would have known, they would have understood this. But we see it in the New Testament. When Jesus tells the church to remove an unrepentant sinner from the congregation, church discipline which most churches, including ours, has uh, in their constitutions, but 
generally don't practice. But Jesus knew you've got to get rid of the sin. God knew this has to be gotten rid of from the family unit, from the camp, from the group. So he sends him out. And then we read on in chapter 4, Cain produces an awful, truly awful family lineage. And that's the slide of unchecked sin. That's what happens when you slowly progress away. That's what happens when parents stop going to church and children are taught that church doesn't matter or Sunday school's not important or worship's not a big deal or whatever. And then it's every other week and then it's once a month and then it's once every couple of months and until the parents are like, oh, suddenly we've got to get back. But the kids are older, they make choices and they choose not to at all. And then the third generation doesn't even know God, much less go to church, much less have a relationship. And we see it just right here, fourth chapter in the book of beginnings. If we don't master sin in our lives, if we don't rule over sin our family will follow us in being ruled over by sin. But then we see mercy. Verses 13 through 16. And I, I, I've skipped over this. I've missed this. I, I've missed the... I, I've just seen it as the argument. Cain argues, God says whatever. And, and I've, I've done... a an incredible disservice to this passage. Verse 13, But Cain answered the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear. Since you're banishing me today from the face of the earth, and I must hide from your presence and become a restless wanderer on the earth, whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord replied to him, In that case, whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And he placed a mark on Cain so that whoever found him would not kill him. Then Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Just quickly, this mark was not a mark of his sin. We've sometimes said that's what it is, a mark of, you know, they knew he was a sinner when they saw him. No, the mark was actually a mark of protection. Cain deserved to die for murder. I guarantee you the Israelites that heard this for the first time and heard what Cain did and, and Cain killed Abel and, and, and God said to Cain, where's your brother? And he said, I don't know, am I my brother's keeper? And God said, yes, you killed him, now you're dead. And Israel been like, exactly right. That's, yep, because that's what we do. Yeah, that, he should die. He deserved to die. That's what I would have done to have punished him. I'm not God. But that's what I would have said, yeah, absolutely, one for one. In reality, the punishment that God chose may have actually been worse than a quick death. But, but that's not the way it's presented here. Instead, this punishment is presented as mercy. Well, it's obviously mercy not to kill, but instead to banish. And then, because he might be killed, God protects him. Why, God? 
If anybody deserved death, it was Cain. Whether it was by a supernatural act of God in that moment, or if it was later on by other people because he was this restless wanderer, he deserved to die. Why not, God? I don't know. It doesn't say. You know, God doesn't, isn't required to answer to us for his mercy. God's God, and God can be merciful to whom he wants to have mercy, and he doesn't have to be merciful to those whom he does not want to have mercy. And I don't know how that works, and I don't know when it's the right thing and when it's, well, it's always the right thing if he does it. I I just don't know when that time is. I don't know why he's merciful toward me. I don't know why he's merciful toward some of y'all. I don't know why he's merciful to any of y'all. We all deserve to be squished between his fingers because our sin is horrid. No, maybe we haven't killed anybody. But Jesus covered that, didn't he? If you've hated anyone in your heart, you've committed murder. Every one of us is a murderer. And we deserve to die for it. But God shows mercy where no mercy is deserved. God showed mercy to Cain where no mercy was deserved. And though I don't understand it, and I would have chosen a different path, I would have chosen a different answer, I'm so glad God didn't. Because if God can show mercy to Cain, listen to me making myself sound better than Cain. If God can show mercy to Cain, surely he can show mercy to me. Let me rephrase it. God showed mercy to Cain. And that teaches us that God shows mercy to us. He did the same for you and me. He provided a a mark. We were banished. We were kicked out. We were enemies of God, Scripture says, in our sin. We are diametrically opposed to everything he is, does, and stands for. We weren't a little off. We were the exact opposite, enemies of God. But silent night, holy night. Right? Then 33 years later, there on the cross was the blood applied. And then three days later, up from the grave he rose. Mercy, where we didn't deserve mercy. So this is the beginning of brokenness. In the last few weeks, I've used three circles to, to show you what God does to that brokenness. This is one more example, chapter 4, of, of the breaking of God's design. We, we see it at the beginning of chapter 3. Now chapter 4, it's just becoming a mess because of sin. And that brokenness, I don't know what Cain was thinking, how he thought, well, I know how I'll fix this whole um, unacceptable offering thing. I'll kill the one that brought the good offering. 
People aren't rational. We think we are. Well, oh, I'm a very rational person. No, you're not. You're an idiot. I am too. When, when we're not thinking straight, when, when sin clouds our minds, clouds our eyes, clouds our emotions, we do stupid things. And we do evil things. I, I wish I could chalk it up to, always chalk it up to idiocy. But sometimes we're just mean. We're just evil. Yeah, yeah, you and me. That's the brokenness. In some way, Cain may have thought, well, I'm going to fix this brokenness. <sighs> he was going to fix something, but it, I don't think it was the brokenness. I don't think he cared. He had, he had given in to sin. He had let sin rule over him instead of ruling over it. But I pray no one here has made that decision. That you will choose to rule over sin. Now, if you try to fix the brokenness on your own, the squiggly lines are just evidence that you're not going to do it. You're going to try, but it's not going to work. You're just going to lead to more brokenness. It's just going to be a temporary fix, if it's a temporary fix at all. No, you're broken far beyond your repair. But the gospel says you're not broken beyond repair. You're just broken beyond your repair. Nobody takes the, the car that's messed up, puts it in your driveway and says, all right, we'll come back in a week or so. I expect you to be fixed. You take it to the qualified person that can, that can do the fix. Even if you have embraced the sin, even if you have allowed it to rule over you instead of you ruling over it, there's a fix. There's a fix for your brokenness. Because you're broken. I'm broken. I'm not as broken as I was, though. Because some 38 years ago, I trusted Jesus as my Savior. Put my faith in Him. Followed a few months later in believer's baptism. My public profession of faith, just like Anna Kate did this morning. And I have failed more times than I can count, and certainly more than I'm going to recount to you. And I think there are a lot of you that have done the same thing. You've repented, you've believed, you've trusted Jesus as your Savior. And we, we know our sinfulness, and we begin to, re, uh, to, to pursue and to recover God's design in our lives. And we try to be more like Jesus, and, and God sanctifies us over time. And when temptation comes, we sometimes take the way out. And when we don't, God says, where's your brother Abel? And as believers, we say, I killed him. Or whatever the sin is. Hopefully you've not killed your brother. If you've never trusted Jesus, you can have that too. A fix to the brokenness. Michael, you don't know how broken my life is. You're probably right. I probably don't. The truth is, 
Sorry to say, I might not even want to know, but I don't want to keep you from pouring your heart out when you feel like you need to. I do know it doesn't matter what I do and don't know. Because the omniscient, omnipresent God knows it all. and He loves you anyway. He knew what you were going to be, and 2,000 years ago, he sent his son to die for you. To forgive you of all those sins. Even that one? Yep. Even those? Uh Uh-huh. To fix that brokenness? Sure did. But what about this? Nope. Ain't no whatabouts in the grace of God. This morning, you can know true salvation. You can know healing for the brokenness of your life. If you place your faith in Christ, if you take up your cross, you leave your life, you follow him, that's the start. That's the, uh, the uphill slide. Can't slide uphill. No, whatever. It's the, the track. It's the progression toward Christ-likeness. And your first obedience is to be baptized. Maybe you've trusted Jesus, but you need to be baptized. We can, it'll be next year, sorry. This year's full. But we'd love to baptize you if you've trusted Christ and need to follow in that obedience. Maybe you need to submit some things to God, conform your life to Him. Maybe you need to join our church, be a part of this body, this fellowship. We're going to have an opportunity to share your decision this morning. You can share it either, if you're watching online, you can share it by messaging us or emailing us. You can share it on connection card this morning. You can come down front and pray with somebody. Chelsea will be, excuse me, to my left. Justin will be to my right. I'll be on the piano this morning. Justin will be to my right. A couple of our deacons will be in the back if you want to pray with somebody, share some things. This will be your opportunity to give uh, financially, part of that worship through giving. Uh, you can scan the QR code that's on the screen, or uh, you can put an offering in the boxes in the back of the sanctuary or in the foyer. That's part of your worship as well, part of your sacrifice, part of your giving that Christy prayed about this morning. I'm going to pray. And while I'm praying, the praise team's going to come up and and we're going to start singing. And that will be your opportunity to give some things to the Lord. Maybe right there, you may need prayer up here. You may just want to come and pray alone. But whatever it is, when we start singing, you move. Lord, we ask this morning that you would hear first our praises. Praises for your mercy. When we don't deserve it, you were merciful. Because we never deserve it and you are merciful. And Lord, we can come to the end of mercy. There, there are times, we see it with Cain, when time's up to receive that mercy. But you are merciful. You love us enough to send your son to die for us. And we praise you for that. We confess that as believers, we have not lived up to the high calling, to the standard. And you are merciful. And your mercies are new every morning for us. You provide the way out from temptation. And when we don't take it, you forgive. And we don't sin so that grace may increase. We strive to kill sin in our lives. But when we fail, and we will, you are faithful and just to forgive us. Thank you for that, Lord. Thank you that you love us so much. Thank you for your mercy. I pray this morning 
for the one who for the believer who is struggling with sin, struggling with something. And this is a long, hard battle they've been fighting. I pray this morning that they give it up. And it may be giving it up again, and the fight may continue tomorrow. But Lord, your mercy is new today for them, for that believer, for that sin, for that brokenness in their lives. You can heal it, and you will. I pray they will bring it to you this morning. Maybe bring it to the stage, maybe bring it to someone to pray with them, but that they will bring it to you. Lord, this morning I pray for that one who has never trusted Jesus as Savior never called on him for salvation, never placed their faith in him, believed on him for their forgiveness of sins. They think they're too broken. They think they're too far gone. And I, Lord, pray that they hear your Holy Spirit telling them right now, whether it's through my voice or something you're doing in their hearts, that they are not too far gone. You love them. Jesus died for them. And they can be saved today. And they can begin to heal the brokenness in their lives and to reclaim and pursue the design that you have for them, that you have for us. Lord, we pray for your hand this morning as we worship you in the next few minutes. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's stand, let's sing, and let's worship as God does work on our hearts today.